Well, you're gonna laugh, but um, because of your podcast, we're positioned well. I don't know how else to thank you, but thank you. Your podcast and your services are amazing, and I wish I could do more as far as working with you guys, but um, I haven't really. But um, maybe in the future, obviously. But once again, our family is grateful to you and your services, and your information is priceless. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1357, 1357. Thanks for joining us today. Adam is here with me, and we are talking about seven-figure decisions. That's what our guests will talk about today. And, uh, you know, a lot of times in life, we make some pretty large, large decisions without even realizing it. Sometimes in haste, in emotion. In really bad ways, we make decisions that can cost us hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. I have had people make those decisions with me. I'm sure I've made them with other people. I'm talking about, you know, in that first example, how I know it costs them that much money. And I have to think of a time when I've done it. And it's probably cost me that much money, too. We do this. This is a dangerous pursuit as people. And we've got to really realize the gravity of some of our decisions. Remember, in all decisions, you can't hear the dogs that don't bark. So that's a part of it. But sometimes it's more forthright than that. Sometimes that seven-figure decision is obvious. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Adam, how you doing? Welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. I think it's been a little while since you've been on the show. Yeah. I might have been on once sure? last week. I don't remember, but yeah. before that, yeah. Yeah. Our yeah. schedules and recordings always seem to be missing each other lately. Yeah, they, they have been. But hey, before we get to our guest on the seven-figure decisions, well, I guess, do you have any comments on that, just to add to what I said? And, and then let's talk about this trade deal and how it's going to affect real estate investors. Yeah, I think one thing we have to remember is just as you go about getting ready to make those decisions, whether you know it or not, it's all about the making of decisions. Sometimes your seven-figure decision might be just not making a decision and waiting too long. And so I think that's... Uh, something to keep in mind. That's true. And uh, to coin the words of a great Rush song entitled Free Will, you can choose not to decide, but you still have made a choice. <laughs> okay. Yep. And, and that is true. A decision, a non-decision is also a choice. Okay. So either way, there's, there's always choices we're making. All right. So you were interested in this trade deal and how it may ease the housing shortage or ease prices a little bit because it involves one of the key ingredients in most U.S. regions, but not as true around the world. I, you know, it depends on the construction techniques that are used. But here 
we use a lot of the L word. <laughs> no, it's not love. Hopefully homes are being built with love, but probably not. <laughs> They're just being built with uh, I'd rather them being finance. built by uh, competent it's individuals built. instead yeah, of love. Yeah. So forget about the love part of it, but it's lumber. That's the L word, okay? Lumber. And that's a big component of housing construction in most U.S. markets. When you look at these different ingredients, as I've always talked about, packaged commodities investing and how you know we need to look at all of these ingredients of a house, lumber, concrete, copper wire, petroleum products, glass, steel, energy, all these components, right? Lumber is a big part of that component in most U.S. areas. Now, where I live in Florida, these houses are built like tanks. I mean, my house that I bought just over a year ago is so solid, I can't even tell you. This thing is a rock, <laughs> you know, because it's all bricks, right? They've got to build them here to withstand high winds in a potential hurricane. But in Southern California, where I used to live, you know, it's sticks, it's stick construction. So a lot of, lot more lumber used in those properties than these. But what do you think about this? Uh, it looks like um, lumber prices, they've been up real high. They're not very low now. Uh, and it looks like they may be easing a little bit, which would be a pleasant occurrence, I think. Yeah, it would be really nice. Now, one of the things, the trade deal we're referring to is not with China. It's the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, which has been passed by the House, and it's now sitting in the Senate. And if I recall correctly, it's one of those things that Mitch McConnell has come out and said they'll deal with after the impeachment situation gets resolved one way or the other. So this is something that you know we might see get delayed a month or two months or three months down the road, depending on how long this whole scenario takes. But since actually, you know, we were discussing it before, since Trump was elected, People knew that, you know, trade deals were going to become, you know, we're going to get revoked and we're going to get renegotiated. And the price of lumber that we were looking at just... The markets reacted to yeah, this. Yeah, uh, they, they, they did not Trump's react rhetoric. in a positive way yeah, for builders. Right. Yeah, you know, it yeah. went up on the day he was elected, I believe we said it was around... 300 and let's go just hang on a second let's go a little more chronologically okay and okay. we'll put that in it'll be more in context okay so if you look back to the great recession coming out of the great recession and we're looking at a lumber price chart now in uh january 7th 2010 it was at 232 okay 232 all right. And then, you know, by April of that year, it was at 333. And it's it's had these ups and downs and ups and downs and ups and downs. And so if you go to, you know, right before the Trump election, is that where you want to go, Adam? How's that? Yeah, and just, just so people know, in that up and down, up and down, it's bouncing around just below or just above 300. That's kind of where it's bouncing around during and coming out of the Great Recession. So it's right. bouncing around and coming out of 300. Trump's election in early November of 2016, it was on 11-2, it was 308.5. Okay. And then it peaked on May 21st, 2018 at 609. That's just crazy. I mean, 609 in 2018. So some really high lumber prices. And right now, uh, or at least at the last reading, which is literally Christmas Eve, 420. Okay, which about where Elon Musk was talking about Tesla stock, alluding to marijuana smoking. Uh, everybody thought it was, right? Uh, 420, right? So that's the last number we have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, up considerably 
from coming out of the Great Recession, the first reading we have 10 years ago, but down from that crazy peak in 2018 of 609. So do you see lumber prices easing a little bit more? It sure be nice to be able to see some affordable housing construction, which we have not seen in 10 years. Well, the good part would be if this bill gets passed by the Senate as well, is that whether or not they ease or not, which they probably will because Canada, we import more lumber than any other country from them. So it will either soften or stabilize. You know, it'll either stick at this level and we'll know this is the price of construction or it'll drop a little bit and then stabilize and we'll know this is the level. But it would be great for us if home builders weren't concerned about that $600 pricing. You know, they have to factor that in when they're purchasing and pricing things out for you. You know, if you want to start building a home in a month, you know, obviously first off, it's probably not going to happen, but they have to factor in the fact, you know, this could cost $100 more in two months whenever I'm needing more lumber. So if we can get that price to stabilize, we can at least go into these home building type purchases knowing the cost of labor and the cost of parts. It will be good for the housing market, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So that would definitely be good. It says, going to one of the articles that we referenced for this piece, home builders still haven't recovered from the housing bust a decade ago. And this is Lawrence Yoon talking, and he's he's on tomorrow, the chief economist of National Association of Realtors. And, you know, he's been on the show before. He's a bit of a you know, always promoting housing. That's his job, right? Shocker. So you got to take everything with a grain of salt. You know, that's what he does, right? Um, yeah, shocker. There will probably be 888,000 single-family home starts in 2019, which isn't enough to keep pace with a population expansion. Now, that seems like a lot of housing starts, okay? But, oh, it's you not. know, there's been a deficit for many years, and that's why we've seen this so out of whack. So we've still got a tremendous, tremendous housing shortage in this country. That benefits investors, but I tell you, it wouldn't hurt to see it ease up a little bit. I think you know there'd be a, you know some more buying opportunities. While interest rates are low, great time to grab some more properties for your portfolio. I just think it's overly tight now, and um, I wouldn't mind seeing it ease up a bit. You were talking about housing starts. I I just pulled up, I linked, I clicked on that link that goes to the Federal Reserve of St. Louis with housing starts. And housing starts in February of 1959. And and that's not St. Louis housing starts. That's all housing starts. Yeah, it's from the Federal Bank of St. Louis. It's that branch. Yeah, Yeah. go ahead. In February of 1959, the year-over-year housing starts was 1.3 million. And then we haven't seen a consistent level that we are now. I mean, it bottomed out in March of 2009 at 353,000. Yeah. Year over year. And then, you know, we're back up to 938. But the last time we were around here was 1990. Okay, so let me give you a point of reference too. The peak being February 2006, that was 1.8 million, uh, or January really was the peak, over 1.8 million. Two um, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's up and down, but definitely 
you can see that there's a huge shortage of inventory. Remember, this you can't track this with population alone. You have to also allow for some of the housing stock to become obsolete. And when that obsolescence sets in, you know, they're tearing old structures down and they've got to build something to replace it. And so, uh, yeah, we've got quite a shortage. It's just baked in for easily for a decade. I mean, the levels that we're at now, it's, it's incredible. We're, we're sitting around the level that is the low point <laughs> pretty much of the entire last 70 years. If you take out the Great Recession, yes, that's absolutely true. So if you, if you just skip that point where it got lower in terms of housing starts, and then you look way back to 1960, we are very underhoused. You know, I'd attribute a lot of that to regulation. I mean, look at the regulatory burden. It's become so much more expensive and uh, so much more intense to build houses nowadays. It's just a much harder deal. Yeah. So, so stabilized prices from lumber will be a big help to builders. So we just have to wait and see what, <laughs> when our Congress is actually going to do something. Well, this is a lot more than a seven-figure decision. This <laughs> is like a nine-figure decision, maybe a ten-figure decision. Oh, I'm not sure. Figure. So uh, let's get to our guest and let's talk about the seven-figure decisions. Any questions, you need an investment counselor, want to look for properties, go to jasonhartman.com or call us. Yes, we do have a phone. And that's so refreshing <laughs> nowadays that you can actually call and talk to us. No millennial is going to take you up on this, by the I way. I know. I know. Millennials, you'll just use the internet. But for non-millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, the silent generation, Feel free to pick up the good old-fashioned phone at 1-800-HARTMAN. That's 1-800-HARTMAN. And let's go to our guest and talk about seven-figure decisions. It's my pleasure to welcome Nick Vertucci. I've known him uh, for several years now and followed his career. He is the founder of NV Real Estate Academy, best-selling author of Seven Figure Decisions. Nick, welcome. How are you? What's going on, Jason? How are you, buddy? Good, good. It's good to have you on the show. And you're coming to us from my old hometown, Orange County, California. So it's great to have you. Yeah. You were in the business of selling investment properties and flipping properties for many years. And then you sort of changed your career path a little bit and went more into the education side of the business. Tell us about that. Well, sure. So in 2004, what makes it interesting is the business that I'm in now, which is the real estate training industry is I'm a product of it. See, in 2004, I was invited to a real estate three-day class. I was losing a tech business. I was in probably the worst financial position, worst that I've ever been in. I, I was losing a tech business. I was in debt, a ton of money. I was in a tough spot. And I got invited to a three-day class. So I'm a product of the real estate training industry. And then for you know 10 years plus before I got into the training aspect, I started investing in real estate. I, I focused and specialized in residential cash flow foreclosure properties. I created a turnkey system to uh, help investors buy properties that were already purchased, rehabbed, had renters in them, and actually had management controlled by us around them. And we did that for a lot of years. And of course, in giving you the very, very abridged version, there is a whole story behind that. It wasn't the easy path that it just sounded like what I just told you. And then in 2013, towards the end of the year, uh, I had a little something happen to me that catapulted me into the real estate training space. It really wasn't going to be my plan, but it did happen. And actually, one of the worst things that ever happened to me wound up being the best thing. And, and now for the past five years, coming up on five years, 
I've been running uh, the MV Real Estate Academy and the National Real Estate Network, two different brands side by side. And we are teaching people how to not only flip properties, how to gap fund their money into deals safely, how to buy commercial properties, how to buy residential cash flow properties. I really love what I do. So that's what I'm doing now. But again, that's the macro look at it, man. Anything you want to know or you think your listeners want to know, feel free to dig deeper into all that. But lots of details in that, what I just told you. Sure, sure. Well, tell us about some of these seven-figure decisions, if you would, because um, you really made a, a pretty big switch in your career. And I know we talked before, you had some partnership troubles. I like to uh, quote my late grandmother when it comes to partnerships. Uh, Many years ago, she told me, Jason, the hardest ship to sail is a partnership. (laughs) I thought that's a pretty pretty good quote from old grandma. You know, so uh, uh, tell us about that. She's smart, yeah. Tell us more. Well, so for me, I can bring you back to 2004, and then I'll bring you back to your question here, is... When I was losing a technology business that I had run for a while, and I was doing very, very, very well for a while, and the the dot-com crash happened, and then we had 9-11, we had a double-dip recession. Point is, my business tanked, and over the course of from 2000 to 2003 or four, I was basically losing my business, and I was millions in debt. And I got a call, going back to seven-figure decisions, I got a call from a friend named Walt. And Walt basically was an acquaintance who was losing a packaging business. And Misery Loves Company, we both build up because uh, of lack of the money intelligence. And I had a lack of life experience, I guess you'd say, in business. We both build up really big lifestyles. And when the music stopped and our businesses tanked, Misery Loves Company. And so he called me up one day and he said, Nick, what are you doing from this Friday to this Sunday on this particular day? And I said, Walt, I, I have no idea why. What's up? And he said, well, I'm going to a three-day tr- uh, real estate class. And they said I could bring somebody. And I thought of you because you're in the same position I am. And, you know, I will tell you, Jason, at first I told uh, Walt, no. I said, listen, I need Friday to Sunday just to recharge my battery enough to most likely cry my way to work on Monday because of, of the situation I was in in my business trying to make payroll and basically losing my business with the bank and trying to figure out how to unwind out of it without making it worse. And he told me something very interesting. And he said, well, you know, I paid $6,000 for this class. And I promise you, this is the exact thought I had. My exact thought was, thank God there's somebody stupider than me on this planet because I couldn't believe he'd do something like that in the position he was in. But I'll tell you, he put, interesting enough, he put a a value on it. And I literally will get the chills every time I say this on on my arms to think if I said no. And I said yes, and I went. And by day two, I had made a decision that I was going to pursue this business. And I had to make some big financial decisions to do that, that I didn't have the money to do. I took my last bit of money out of the equity of the home I was losing. And I went for it. And, and, and Nick, by the way, what year 2004. is this? This is 2004. And what was the tech? Yeah, wait, wait, wait. What was the tech business you were losing? You said you were losing a tech business. What, what do you mean by that? Sure. In 1989, at the age of 22 years old, I started a technology business by initially selling memory chips, brokering them. Okay. Um, I, I realized that college wasn't going to be for me early on. I'm a K through 12 educated guy. I have nothing. I look, I think education is great. I have nothing against it, but I also know that we all don't fit into that same box. And I think I just got lucky instinctually knowing that. And so when I started uh, brokering chips, it evolved into parts. It evolved into putting together computers. And I, so I had a full, I was a full systems integrator, like a mini Dell. 
And because I was in the right place at the right time, you know, high tides raise all boats, right? And so I did very well for a lot of years in the tech business, and we became a systems integrator doing full cabling. I really wasn't a tech guy, but I was in the right place, right time. Mm-hmm. In the year 2000, we had the dot-com crash, right? And uh, that's what took me out. So, you know, when I made that decision then in 2004 to pursue this, your initial question here is, tell me about seven-figure decisions. Well, here's what I can tell you, and I'm going to fast forward. I had created a cash flow system with a partnership, actually two partnerships, one with my actual partner and one with somebody who was already in the real estate training business. And I was, my partner and I were providing properties for these students, basically turnkey cash flow properties. We did this for many years. We did hundreds of them. So what happens is in 2013, and again, I'll, I'm just going to brush over this, but one of the worst experiences I had for me emotionally was I got circumvented. My partner and the other partnership kind of went around me and they started basically doing the business without me. And the reason for that is because that particular training company wasn't making it anymore. And that was a revenue source and it was a real dirty deal. We don't really want to go into it more than that. Other than to say, I made a decision to go into the training business after that. And again, that's really fast forwarding this, but in 2014 in March, I had been in this industry now for about three months. January 2014, I launched. I was on the phone with the other, not my partner, but the other partnership because he was coming after me legally, if you will, because he didn't want me in the same space as him. I say all that to tell you one thing. When I was on the phone that day, there was something said to me that day where if you want to stay in this business and you want to compete with me, I'm going to basically dismantle you financially. I say that to say this. And he said, I need you to take your time because you're making a seven-figure decision right now. And you really need to think about it. But I'll tell you what, that moment was so surreal for me because it made me realize that my life really was based on all these decisions that were either seven-figure decisions, good or bad. Mm -hmm. And I had a defining moment where I had to decide, am I going to fight for what my actual destiny was, or was I going to cave? And so when I wrote the book, Seven Figure Decisions, the name of that title is from that conversation. So what I've learned is this, true leaders, people that are successful have a common denominator. It isn't that they're the smartest person in the room. It isn't because they're the most highly educated. It is successful people have the ability to push through obstacles, to push through fear. And I had some mentorship for this, which again, I haven't discussed with you, but I learned how to do that. And so even with my students today, as I teach them real estate investing, one of the most important things I could teach my students is the successful students that are going to come out of my classes are the ones that are going to take what we teach them and to not give up. Because every single successful person, their past usually are littered with failures, but success speaks for itself. And you don't see the failures, you just see the success. So again, the long-winded answer is seven-figure decisions is something I realized that, you know, making no decision is a decision. It's the worst decision you can make. And some people will not get outside of their box. They won't go try to be successful. They won't do the things that they're destined to do because they're too fearful or they make excuses because of fear or obstacles or other people or, or society or whatever that may be. So for me, that's why I wrote the book. It's a memoir, but it's littered with success principles of how to win in business and in life. Mm-hmm. Okay, good, good stuff. Let's switch gears and talk about uh, your thoughts on the real estate market and why you like real estate as an investment. There are, of course, sure. many, many ways to do real estate, many product types, 
we could talk about that forever, but just kind of a, a macro view. I, I mean, I love income property. I think it's the most historically proven asset class in the entire world, and it's accessible right. to a lot of people. It's created lots of wealth for lots of people. It's not perfect. It's not easy, but it's worth it, if you ask me. What are your thoughts? Well, yeah, like you said, it, it isn't perfect and it isn't easy, but it can bless you very, very much and is lucrative if you do it right and you're in the right positions when you do it. For me, one of the things that really stood out to me when I was getting my training and, and decided to go after this, and that was cash flow properties. And the reason is, is because I learned something valuable. I learned that in my business, I was in an active income business. I needed people to buy computers from me for me to continue to make a living. I wanted to start creating something that I could like leave a legacy that I could actually build to where at some point, if I didn't do it anymore, it's, I still had enough mailbox money income. So that's how I got into this business with the passion for cash flow initially. And, you know, eventually I built up my personal portfolio to a point where I've accomplished that, but it wasn't easy. It was one door at a time. And then I created, of course, that turnkey system where I was selling properties to investors and making a fee on it, basically, and helping them get into the market that they probably wouldn't otherwise have been in or, you know, be able to hold a nice asset for a nice return. And, you know, one of my mentors or my actual mentor made a statement to me and said, the properties you'll regret the most are the ones you sell. Now, of course, if you're an investor, you're going to sell a lot of properties, whether you're flipping them, uh, you're buying them in my wholesale turnkey system, whatever it is. But the point he was making is if you just, as somebody up in age, bought one or two properties each decade, they probably would have a whole different look at their financial future when they finally got to the time in their life where it mattered to be able to have a, a, a retirement. And, you know, most people don't do that. And I know I don't want to defend on the federal government or any company for my retirement. So for me, it's just an am amazing business. If you stick to it, all the guys out there that are teaching this and talking about it, that will talk and say, and get you pumped up and say, it's easy or tell you you're going to become a millionaire overnight. Generally not true. Most of the time, not true. And it's an untruth, mm -hmm. but it is a business that I think everyone should consider and learn about because most of the people of wealth in this country came from some sort of real estate investing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good stuff. What are your thoughts on the economy and the direction of the market? You know, everybody loves predictions and <laughs> loves to hear other people's yeah. ideas of where things are going. Well, you know, I can tell you our economy, you can look at it two ways. Of course, it's doing wonderful and jobs are great. And the stock market is on an all time bull run that it's never been on. But you know, there's some there's also some problems with the economy. And we have a lot of national debt, and a couple of elections or a couple of different things happen or some change in policy or interest rates, you know, of course, are going up, which you and I know that, you know, you can make money in an up market, a down market in a linear market. I feel the market may be uh, not sizzling as much in real estate coming soon. I don't think we're in any massive bubble, if you will, but there's still plenty of money to be made flipping. There's still a ton of low hanging fruit out there if you buy right on cash flow stuff. You know, right now, you know, a lot of people like to put their money into REITs, but with interest rates rising, you got to be careful with the mortgage REITs, but it still a lot of the equity, a lot of the equity REITs are still uh, performing really well, even with the interest rates going up. But I don't think anyone with real 
certainty can give you an exact forecast. I, I always believe there's just tons of different moving parts to oh, the sure. real estate yeah, business into our are. economy. Yeah. yeah, of course. Good stuff. What do you want to tell people? Maybe a question I haven't asked you or, or just anything you want to talk about? There's probably so many things that I could want to talk about, but I, I just think that one of the things I'm most passionate about is whether we're talking real estate investing or starting your own business or whatever it is, what I think I'm most passionate about in the business I'm in, even though I'm specialized in real estate uh, investing, is I just want to remind the people out there that we're in the greatest country ever, regardless of their politics, regardless of whatever problems we have or issues. And there's so much opportunity out there. And I think just the thing that really is a passion of mine is just to want people to get outside of their comfort zone, to have an entrepreneur spirit. And whether it's on a part-time level or a full-time level or any level, just get out there and create something because there's tons of wealth to be created. And I just see a lot of people that want that and they want to do that, but they just won't get outside. Your strongest muscle in your body and your asset you have is your mind. And I know there's so many self-help things out there and I don't believe that you can just be positive and a check's going to show up in your mailbox. I believe you have to get off off your can and, and go work harder than the next guy to do it. But I also do believe that if you do tap into a positive attitude, you do tap into learning how to overcome fear. I believe you're capable of anything. And I do believe that real estate investing for some people is the most incredible business to be in. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Talk to us maybe before you go, Nick, about any more of those seven-figure decisions. Uh, are there some specific decisions or are you just generally saying, you know, this is a seven figure decision? And I agree, you know, it's it's truly amazing how important a couple of decisions can be. They can last for decades. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like that old saying of, you know, well, now, now you made your bed, you got to sleep in it, right? Yeah. I could just I could just answer it this way. I don't know if I could get micro on it, but in a macro look at that is decision making is one of the most single most important things a successful person, if you're going to be successful, you have to have. Even if you make a series of bad decisions, let's say you were going to make 10 decisions in your business or in anything to do with business, and you made nine bad decisions and the 10th was an absolute hit, all the other nine were worth it. I still make tons of bad decisions, but I'm capable of making one. And I think a lot of people aren't because of, again, life, fear obstacles and they won't make them and no decision is the worst decision you can make and so for me you know when i had that said to me in 2014 of march it really was a surreal moment it finally dawned on me that you know me not going to college could have been a seven-figure decision good or bad for me it was actually good because that wasn't my destiny when i decided to say yes to that three-day class I mean, I'll tell you what, I said no initially. And that's, you know, life is a game of inches. And that was a seven-figure decision. And man, I got to tell you, I made a lot of negative ones too that came back to, you know, to not be perfect, but that's okay because I was still capable of making them. Even in my business today, I will make some decisions that aren't perfect, but I have the, at least I have the ability to make another one and correct it. And, and all I mean by that is you have to be able to put yourself out there. I, I have a thing that I say, it's called see it, believe it, map it, and execute it. And the premise of that is you first have to see wherever you're going. You have to have that vision. Nobody else can see it for you. you got to know what you want. Number two is you have to figure out a way to really truly believe it before you can go after it. And there's a lot of ways to do that that we'll probably not get into. But it's very key that you do because if everyone else believes it, you don't, ain't happening. 
map it, which means you have to have a plan, a viable plan, something that will actually work. And I use the example, you know, if I wanted to be an NBA basketball player, not going to happen. I'm not going to dunk on anyone anytime soon ever. So I have to have a plan that's actually going to work. And so you have to map it. And then last but not least, even though it's cliche, the whole take action thing, it's executed. Without the last step of actually taking that execution and taking that action, all you have is a thought, a plan, a good dream, but something that's not real. So I believe in see it, believe it, map it, execute it, be able to make those decisions and be able to get out there and just start grinding it out. Good stuff. Nick, give out your website and tell people where they can find out more. So nvrealestateacademy.com is the training portion of my, my life. And if you, and again, I'm not promoting the book, I'll tell you about it. And if someone wants it, they can order it. I didn't write this book to make money or to be, uh, even though it's done very well, it's called seven figure decisions. And it's the word seven spelled out. You go to Amazon, you type that in, you can buy it on Kindle or the paperback. And it's a, my story, but littered with business principles, success principles, and what I believed was the reason for my success or any success, which is not the real estate investing. That was the vehicle. The real success was the stuff that I've kind of been kind of bringing it back to the whole time because I believe that's the difference of what makes people successful and not successful and not just knowledge. So. Good stuff. Nick, thanks for joining us. Hey, man. I appreciate it, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's good to circle back. I, I Like you said, you've probably seen my career for years. I've seen yours. I've seen you out there. We both were in the cash flow business for a while. I know who you are, and it's an honor to be on your show and keep doing your thing, man. Well, thanks. It was good having you, and happy investing. All right, buddy. See ya. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, HartmanMedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional, and we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.